0: Well, good evening, everyone. How is everyone doing tonight? Good, good. I think I've got about uh, four of you's attention, so uh, it's okay. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah, there you go, Roy. I'm so glad to have you tonight. My name is Ryan Limbaugh. I am the pastor of Redeemer Church. And I just want to make a few remarks before we get started with our roundtable discussion. Uh, The first thing I want to do is just point you to your left, my right over here, Redeemer Church exists to pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people through worship, fellowship, discipleship, and mission. And so one of the very reasons why we're having this discussion is we're seeking to glorify God. We're we're seeking to put the spotlight on the greatness and the glory and the character and the attributes of God in a situation like same-sex marriage. And we want to bring joy to people. That's our goal. We don't want people to be joyless. And we don't want them to have a false joy or a superficial joy, but the real thing, because that's exactly why God has created every human being. He's created every human being in God's likeness for God's joy. And so that's why we're having this discussion. I would also point to your right, uh, where Paul says in Romans 1.16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And so I simply want to share with you in a nutshell what the gospel is. The gospel, the gospel is the good news of salvation through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what we believe is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless and holy and perfect life, fulfilling all righteousness. And then once he did that, he was put up on a cross to die a sinner's death. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he lived the life that you and I are supposed to live. And so that when he died for us, he paid the penalty for our sins. So that if we repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus Christ, then we can be saved. And the reason we can be saved is because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, powerfully, securing for us eternal life, resurrection life. And Jesus is in heaven, and one day he's going to return. And the clouds are going to part. And he's going to return, and he's going to rule and reign forever and ever. And all who put their faith and trust in him will have life eternal. So that's the gospel, and we believe it's the power of God unto salvation. And, and we believe that salvation can be for anyone who repents of their sins and puts their trust in Jesus. And so that's the motive behind what we're, what we're really doing tonight. We really just, in our minds, what we want to do is we want to help Christians think rightly and righteously about this issue of same-sex marriage. We want Christians to know how to relate to people who are proponents of same-sex marriage. And we want to help people who think that same-sex marriage and same-sex unions are legitimate and right and good. We want to help them understand that there's a better way, that there's a way that God has created them to, to live that's going to bring them more joy going to give them a greater mission and greater purpose in their life. So that's our motive, that's what we want to do. Um, but we also we want to show people who are same-sex marriage proponents that there's a way in which Christians act, and there's a way in which Christians should act. There's a way in which Christians respond to this. And then there's a way that they should respond. And by God's grace, we want to show you how, how we should respond to this issue. So um, our panel tonight is Anthony Cook, who is pastor of Christian Fellowship Bible Church. Bob St. John, who's pastor at Anniston Bible Church. And Carlton Weathers, who is at Grace Fellowship. So we're going we're to get started. I want to read a passage of Scripture and then I'm going to ask a few questions of these men, Um, and then after a a little while, you guys are going to have the opportunity to ask any question that you like. We're going to have a break in about 40 to 45 minutes, Um, and I've provided some index cards, or if you just want to take a sheet of paper or anything that you want to write a question on, when we take our break, if you would just bring me your question, um, I will ask it to to the guys. Guys, I appreciate y'all being here tonight, really excited about this. I thank you for taking a Uh, a night out of your life and your ministry in order to do this, and we'll trust the Lord's blessing. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture and and pray. Colossians chapter 4, Paul tells the church, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If you don't mind, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we pray that very thing now that you would give us your words, that you would give us your wisdom, that you would give us your power, that we may accurately, rightly, and righteously present you, your character, your attributes and your will. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So um, Bob, I want to ask you the very first question tonight. And that question is, um, Christians who oppose same-sex marriage often do so because the Bible teaches against same-sex unions. Will you explain what role the Bible should have in human life, and why it should have that role. Okay.
1: What role does the Bible have and and why it should have that role? Maybe I could read a passage of Scripture from Second uh, Peter that I think helps express what we believe about the Bible and about God's revelation of himself. Uh, Peter, the apostle, is speaking in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, his second letter, and verse 16, he says, "'For we did not follow cunningly devised fables "'when we made known to you the power and coming "'of our Lord Jesus Christ, "'but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. "'For he received from God the Father honor and glory "'when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, "'This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased.'" And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so I suppose the first thing I should say is that um, believing that the Scripture is the Word of God is part of our presupposition. You know, we, what, what is our starting point? We believe that there is a God, that He has spoken and that he has spoken in the Bible, that he has spoken in the scriptures, and that he has uh, spoken in such a way that his revelation is inspired, and it's inerrant, and it's authoritative, so that it is a perfect revelation of himself. And as believers, we we bow and submit to the revelation that God has given concerning himself. And so that is our presupposition, is our starting point. And consequently, uh, the word of God, since it's authoritative, and by authority we mean that the word of God binds the conscience, that it has the power to bind one's conscience. You know, I may say something to you, but my word doesn't necessarily bind you. But if God says something, then it binds you. We're bound to it whether we reject it or receive it. We are bound by it. And so uh, we as Christians, because we believe this is our, our authority, are bound to judge all other claims by the Word of God. So when someone brings forward any statement whatsoever, Whether it has to do with this particular issue of same-sex marriage, or any other issue, we have to judge what they say by the authority of God's word. What does God's word say about that statement? And it's by it's by the word of God that we make a determination concerning the truth.
0: Thank you, Bob. Carlton, I want to ask you uh, really two questions, and the first question is just about our current climate, our, our culture climate, and our government climate, because really what, what provokes a discussion like this is what's going on around us, and co- so could you just in a cogent way describe to us what is the social and governmental climate of this issue of same-sex marriage?
2: In five words or less, right? Yes. <laughs> um, well, first of all, I would want to say that this, this issue has been an issue dating back in, uh, in, in our culture to at least October of 1971. That's the first case that came before the Supreme Court dealing with uh, a same-sex couple. And that may shock some of us to not remember or know, and some of you may have known that, but this is not a new issue, is my point. And from that, if you research, what you will find is an onslaught and a steady pickup of cases dealing with both homosexuality, the lifestyle, and marriage, uh, particularly, as we move through the 1980s, and then particularly the 90s. And then in 2003, we had a landmark decision in Lawrence versus Texas, which changed the, changed the whole format in which we have the discussion. Before 2003, in most states in the Union, particularly in the southeast of the United States, homosexuality as an activity was illegal. Um, Now whether that was enforced or not enforced was up to the local magistrates and authorities, but it was the law of the land. In 2003, Lawrence versus Texas, all of those laws were thrown out in all 50 states. And that really changes the conversation. And and Justice Scalia that day said, We will see the approval by this court of so called same sex marriage. He believed he would see it in his time on the bench. And so we shouldn't be shocked that in 2013, just 10 years later, uh, United States versus Windsor was settled in the case of the couple uh, by the name of Windsor who. What they really wanted was benefits uh, upon death. They, they, they were asking for equality under federal law. And it's a very, you know, I don't want to get complicated for my own self sake. I'm not a lawyer. But what they really were asking, what the case was over was, can we receive the same benefits that other federal employees receive when their spouses die or their significant others die? And the, the case really revolved around the Defense of Marriage Act, or DOMA as it's been called, Um, Where the federal government had said previously, no, Um, only uh, traditional marriages were recognized as uh, able to receive benefits as a couple. And so the court in 2013, in June of 2013, threw out DOMA and opened the door to what we currently see now to come down to our state. Because we are now one of 30, I think, seven states where same-sex marriage has been either voted on by the people and accepted, which is the minority. The majority of states, the courts have actively thrown out state laws barring any definition of marriage except the traditional marriage. Our state had a law. We believed it was strong and it would stand the test. But as you all know, in January of this year, the federal court, which is a US district court, just to get our terminology right, um, Uh, the judge threw out the state ban on same-sex marriage. What was so um, new to that was not that she threw it out, but typically district courts rule for their district only. So that should have affected only South Alabama and really the district this judge presided over. What she did was throw it out statewide. And so the Supreme Court of... of, um, was petitioned to step in and stop that they did not in a seven to two decision, which is kind of a as um, uh, Justice Thomas said is kind of I think a precursor There is a case that will come on the docket this year before the US Supreme Court to decide once and for all all 50 states Will we have same-sex marriages recognized or not? And that that probably will get a ruling in June. That's what everybody thinks and so um I guess to say, we've really, the culture has made the decision. Um, the larger culture has made the decision that same-sex marriage is accepted. Uh, polling information that we begin to see now is, is siding consistently. Over 50% of people are now saying same-sex marriage is, is acceptable, which is, which is new. This yeah. is all new in the last year or two years. Entertainment has obviously cast their lot. They did that years ago when they began to to display homosexuality as a normal lifestyle. Uh, So uh, homosexuality has been accepted at the political or judicial level. It's been accepted at somewhat of the popular level. It's definitely been accepted in the entertainment industry, and it's been accepted in education. Uh, If you look at any culture-shaping, that goes on it comes from education entertainment and politics this this is how we shape the culture in which we live religion is the other one and sadly sadly most churches are caving in to the culture on this issue so i think that's the state of the culture that we're in it's it's quickly moving to support same-sex marriage as legitimate and equal to Biblical marriage between a man and a woman.
0: Okay good good that gives us the landscape. So Bob tells us that the Word of God is our authority that it informs and binds our conscience and then we look at our culture and our culture says that homosexuality is good and that homosexual marriages same-sex marriages are just as valid as heterosexual marriages. That, that, that's, that's the idea. So, so what does the word of God say? And so, Carlton, I want you to answer this question. What is marriage?
2: Marriage is the covenant between one man and one woman, between that one man and one woman and God, in which God blessed marriage as an institution in Genesis chapter 2, where he said he created uh, Eve And then he sanctioned the first marriage by saying, and for this reason, a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the statement of the Bible from Genesis, and it's repeated by Jesus Christ in Matthew 19. When he's questioned about divorce, his answer is, do you not know that from the beginning it was not this way, but God who made them male and female, then... Uh, sanction their marriage he uses the same words as God used in Genesis 2 and he affirms marriage again as between one man and one woman often people say Jesus never said Jesus did say Jesus did define marriage Mm -hmm. and and then of course the disciples in the letters to the churches always uphold the man and woman as the the marriage so this is not a, a an invention of man This is God's institution, and and it has many purposes. Just quickly, I would say the purpose, one, is to glorify Him. Number one, as your statement says, is to glorify God. Secondly, it is to procreate. Marriage should bring about, mainly, uh, one of the main purposes is the continuation of mankind. Um, Third, it should organize society. Marriage was intended, families were intended to organize society uh, from the very beginning and then and also it was intended to picture god's relationship with his people and so what what we would be saying uh, if we denied this definition that God has given us is that god is is identical to us. You see it's the man and woman's differences which picture the difference between God and us. His love for us um, is pictured in this way and so Uh, This this is the definition of marriage.
0: Good. Thank you. So, Anthony, um, there are a lot of issues that are that are in our culture that are serious. They are significant. We think about them. We we pray about them. And what? why is this issue? Why is the issue of same-sex marriage so important to, to, to people like us? And why is the definition of marriage and the institution of marriage such a significant thing?
3: Um, right. I, I think what I would do in answering my question is, is repeat a lot of what Carlton has said. Um, you know, marriage is so important to Christians because marriage is so important to God. Um, Marriage is the first institution that God ordained uh, before government, uh, even before the church, he ordained marriage. Um, He uh, created the heavens and the earth, and um, that was uh, leading up to the creation of man. And when he created man, he looked at everything that he had made, and he said it is good and very good, uh, except for one thing. Uh, and he said, the one thing that wasn't good is that man should be alone. And he created Eve to be uh, with Adam. Um, and this is uh, God's intention for mankind. Is for us, as, as Carlton said, uh, the first thing he told them was he blessed them and said unto them, and this is uh, Genesis chapter 1, he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. If you want to know about... Um, the validity of an idea, is what you want to do is you want to extend it uh, to its extreme. And so if you take the idea of of a godly marriage, a man and a woman coming together in holy matrimony and procreating and filling the earth, then what you have is a culture that is um, uh, shaped by the family unit. Uh, A lot of the the decay that we see in society today, it starts with the decay of the family. Mm -hmm. And it's the departure from what we see right here in Genesis 1. Uh, So if you take the the idea of a godly marriage and run it through its extreme, uh, it would completely revolutionize society today. We would be a completely different world. If you take the idea of homosexuality and run it to its extreme, we'd be extinct. Mm -hmm. That's why marriage is important. Yeah.
0: So, so given given our belief that marriage is to be between one man and one woman, and God as a covenant, and we believe that this is so because God has both instituted it that way, and that's the way in which God is going to be glorified. And got a godly couple, and then having um, children, producing um, families, and marriages will bring glory and honor to God as they picture God's love for His people, then what should be our attitude toward the government who has said, no, that is not the way that this should be. Homosexuals should also enjoy the covenant of marriage, and we're going to make it so, and, and, and that's the way that it is. What should be a Christian's perspective and attitude and demeanor toward our government that has basically said what God has said is not true. A- any of you guys are, are welcome to answer that question.
1: Can we all jump in on that? Sure, absolutely. Well, I, I would just uh, say this that, you know, you have in Romans 13, you have the command that uh, let every soul be subject to the authorities, the governing powers, since there is no Governmental authority, except what is ordained by God. And uh, so the believer has a twofold obligation. He has uh, an obligation to obey the governmental authorities, but you know, also over in Acts 5, uh, Peter and the apostles uh, actually defy the governmental authorities in preaching the gospel. And when they are asked, why? Are you speaking in the name of Jesus? And Peter gives the very clear answer that we ought to obey God rather than man. And so, you know, I think that you have to balance those two to understand that uh, as long as our government does not command us to do that which is sinful, we, we should comply with a submissive and respectful attitude. But when their uh, authority has been twisted and perverted to command us to um, break our conscience toward God, mm-hmm. then we, we cannot submit to that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, good. You guys go ahead and jump right in there because I think we, there's got to be, um, given those two principles, and I think all of us at this table agree exactly with what Bob said, what does that begin to look
3: like in our society? I, I would just say that, um, you know, because the question was about how do we respond as Christians? Yeah. And I think what we have to do is not look to government to be the church. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to acknowledge that uh, we do not live in a Christian society. Um, we do not. We are not under the authority of a Christian government. Uh, we are the outsiders. We are the minority. We are the aliens. Uh, studying through uh, currently the book, uh, studying in Genesis about uh, Joseph. Um, What we see is a man who honors God with his life. He is a follower of God, but he is transplanted to a uh, society where God is not honored, where God is not over the government. God does not rule over these people uh, in their hearts. And so looking at Joseph and how he... Response to that, jo- Joseph does not appeal to government and say, listen, Pharaoh, you know, these people aren't being godly. Aren't you going to fix that? He, he doesn't do that. What he does is he com- continues to carry the banner of God in his heart, and he continues to walk in godliness within himself. And so in terms of our relationship with the government, as Bob has pointed out, rightly pointed out, we should honor government. We should respect government, but we should not look to government to be the church we are the church and if anybody is going to carry god's standard it has to be us
0: okay good good um so carlton is there at this point in time on this date um a place in which um we are to submit to government in romans 13 like like bob mentions but it like in acts five where where peter says listen um, we're going to obey God rather than, rather than man. Is there any place in our life right now, and the folks who are listening, is there any place where we cannot obey the government right now, given their stance on same-sex marriage?
2: Well, I think that the, the question is, uh, if you're asking, is it today? Yes. Um, probably not today. Mm-hmm. But I think we're unwise to have our head in the sand and think that day is not coming. So I think we have to be thinking ahead of the game. How is it that we are to respond to the government when they do intrude on church liberty and uh, on religious liberty? Um, and I, I, you know, I, I I think what we would want to say is we would want to respectfully disagree. Um, we, in other words, uh, we would not want to sanction that which God doesn't sanction ever as a church, which may cause us. You know, one thing we were waking up to. Uh, like Anthony said, we don't live in a Christian society, uh, government that it bases its decisions on the scriptures and on uh, a Christian, uh, Christian principle. So I, I think what we're going to have to do is make tough choices that cost us. Like tax exemption could be up uh, for question. Yeah. And we're going to have to make decisions that stand on the word of God in the face of losing privileges. We need to confess that we have received we have received from our government in the past great benefit that's not necessarily going to continue mm-hmm. and we don't need to cave because that becomes the carrot that's hung over well if you don't preach this way if you don't do these things then you'll lose the tax benefit then farewell to the tax benefit mm-hmm. respectfully mm-hmm. Uh, it may be that we have to begin to tell young couples you 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 need to consider marriage in the church right. mm-hmm. as a religious institution again. Yeah. You know We handed this institution to the government. There was a day when the government was not involved in our marriage ceremonies. Yeah. We invited them in, again, for benefits. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to decide that marriage is something other than what God says it is, we just need to be prepared that that may mean that we have to not in an angry way, not in a take our ball and go home way, but in a godly way say we're going to have to have covenant marriage in the church. Mm -hmm. And so I just think we have to be prepared. Is that today? Maybe it's not, but I think we should be proactive. I don't think we should be sitting back waiting on the end to come and and hiding from what seems to be taking place. Yeah,
0: yeah, good.
1: Could I add one thing? Absolutely. I, I do think, though, at least uh, for a little while here in 2015, uh, probate judges and civil employees were, that day had arrived because they were, you may remember there were actual um, employees and judges who were asking for prayer about what they should do. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, I, I believe for us as his church, that if we had an employee in uh, who was given that kind of situation, we would want them to say no to any participation in a same-sex union, mm-hmm. and if that meant losing their job, then we would have to carry that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know that that we we would have to support them enough to say, hey, your brothers and sisters are behind you we will help you and, uh, in the transition into something else because we don't want you to break your conscience. And I, I do believe the church needs to say that mm-hmm. so that they, they realize they have the the support and backing of God's people to do what is right.
0: Yeah, that's good, that's good Bob. So I want to ask, ask this, at least this um, question regarding government we have our local government we have we have local judges we have local leaders then we have our state leaders and we have our federal leaders how should we how should we Relate to them as people and as our leaders. Well, wh- What should we do? Here I am. I am Christian. I am, I'm, a, I'm a church member, and I'm thinking, okay, I know that my government disagrees with me, disagrees with my God, and is, and is uh, writing legislation in order to call uh, evil good and, and good evil. What am I supposed to do with that on an everyday kind of basis? How should I think? How should I live? What should be the nature of my conversation with people at the water cooler about our government? What, what does it look like in, in everyday, everyday life?
2: Well, I think, first of all, we need to realize that the Bible was written in, in a time when the government was just that. Yeah. It was anti-God. So the Bible's not foreign to this. It's not separate from this. It's right in the middle of it. And so um, I think we should follow Paul's command to pray for our leaders, to pray for the peace of the nation that the gospel may go forward and for the wisdom of those who are over us, kings and authorities and rulers, to pray for them and um, to, again, as Bob has said, and I think it's been said several times, live in submission as far as it is possible. I, you know, I know um, Paul says, be at peace with all men as far as it is possible within you. And I think that principle really applies here also, though this would be a little different, would be live in submission to your authority as far as it is possible. Mm-hmm. And at the point that it's not possible is when it defies God. That's the only point. So just because my life gets hard, that's not, that's not reason to rebel against the authority. Just because I don't like paying higher taxes, Jesus would say, render under Caesar what is Caesar's, right? So we don't have the right to say, well, my life's difficult, so I'm out on the government. We're to pray for them. We're to support them as far as it is possible within us. Good. Good. Either one of you men have anything to add to that?
1: Okay. Okay.
0: So I want to ask one more question um, here, um, possibly two. Can
1: I add one more thing for you? Could I yes, have one you more can, thing? Bob. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sometimes the thoughts come slow. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, first, I, I myself am guilty of being angry with our leaders. And I confess that sin to you. And, uh, and I have said disparaging things, um, and not without being convicted of it, and not without confessing it, but I have said disparaging things about our government leaders. And I believe that as Christians, this is, although it's popular and common, it is not right. Mm-hmm. And so it needs to stop in the church needs to stop with us we need to not jump on that bandwagon mm-hmm. and then the the other the other item is that um, in being salt or and light in the world um, our stand on righteousness when we when we declare God's law you shall not commit adultery and when we explain that truth that anything outside of The boundaries of marriage is perversity. Anything, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, anything outside of that boundary is perversity. When we, on a regular basis, address our leaders with this truth, address our community with this truth, then we are being salt and light. And, of course, it has to be followed with the gospel. So we have the obligation to preach the law and and to give people a consciousness of their sin but also to preach the gospel to uh, so that they know there is pardon forgiveness and love right. toward sinners. Yeah. So you know I think that shapes a little bit our attitude toward toward the government and how we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how we talk about these issues uh, in our in a, our community.
0: Good Bob Men, I know each of you very well and and I really can't say that uh, any of you are guilty of this and I, I don't think that you are, but I do believe that Christianity at large and and pastor pastors at large are guilty of of honing in on this issue of homosexuality to the exclusion of heterosexual immorality, so fornication adultery um Pornography, anything that is heterosexual in nature but is outside the boundary of a of a of a one flesh union a covenant, and so Anthony, I, I would like to ask you if you would just address that um, I guess discrepancy. Would you address the discrepancy? The, um, does it exist? The 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 focus on the homosexual sin. Um, to the exclusion of heterosexual sin, and what should it look like inside the church as we seek to both love and care for people who are in both kinds of sins?
3: Right. Um, I I think, one, first of all, it's absolutely true. Um, This is the reason why um, whenever you see uh, Christians in a public setting, uh, in a, um, uh, a mixed setting, they're always going to be asked at some point or another about homosexuality. The reason is because the church at large has elevated homosexuality as a sin. Um, sin is sin, and um, you know God, God hates all sin. Uh, but we have elevated homosexuality as a sin largely in our response to what we are seeing in our culture. I had a question ask me. I, I did a column a, a couple of months ago, and I had a question ask me uh, about well, if you're you know, a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, why don't you why don't you guys come down as hard on adultery or divorce as you do homosexuality? Um, and I wrote him back, and I said that's a fair question. I said the difference is, um, you know, if if a divorced person came to me and asked me to to remarry them, they would more than willingly acknowledge that they had sinned, that they were wrong for breaking their marriage covenant. Um, And and a a homosexual person refuses to acknowledge that they have violated God's principles. Um, And so the difference between the two is repentance uh, and and, and a softened heart. Um, uh, And so I think if we as a church um acknowledge that um first of all that we've elevated homosexuality as a sin uh what we should do is 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 dial that back and begin to acknowledge that sin is sin. God is upset with all of it. God hates sin. Period. Um and that we should just preach the full gospel. Um the other thing is we got to stop being surprised you know when when sinners act like sinners. Um, you know, that, that's, that's the culture we're in. And so let's not respond with such vitriol, vitriol and, and, and such an impassioned uh, response to, to one particular sin. Let's be consistent in our stance for the gospel. Um, and let's share the gospel in a way that is, is even, as Bob put it, we, we point out God's standard And then we point out God's grace to cover all sin. I think one reason we talk
2: about homosexuality the way we do is because we believe homosexuals are those people out there. And it's easy to talk about those people out there who aren't hearing me. It's more difficult to admit homosexuals are here. People that struggle with same-sex attraction are not outside of our church. Many times they're inside of our church. And they're quietly dying while we make fun of, um, talk about how alien-like it is, that they feel the way they do. And rather than having a really honest talk about sin at, at large, as Anthony's talked about, we we categorize the sin and then we place it outside of our walls so we can point our finger at it, talk about how ugly it is.
3: Uh, That's the next. I, I, the, thing, the thought that came to mind is, we are very good at preaching against the sin we think we'll never be guilty of. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think another reason the church has
2: lost its voice on this issue is because we, we are guilty of pornography. Yeah. We, we, we ourselves are sexual sinners. Yeah. And so rather than talk about our own struggles with sexual sin, and confess that before the Lord and our brothers and sisters, we want to, again, talk about somebody else's sexual sin. And I think Jesus would surely say, take the log out of your own eye mm-hmm. before you reach to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Right. So I think I think for those reasons, we're losing our voice. And, and Anthony brought up a good point with divorce. I think, you know, we are muted. Another reason we're muted is because we have opened the door to We've really follow, followed the government's path. We've made no-fault divorce real in the church, too. Like, oh, well, divorce of all kinds is equal. And divorce of all kinds is not equal. There, there are nuanced positions on these things that, we have that are biblical, and we have to be willing to stand in those places. And because we're not willing to stand in those places, it's easy to stand really strong on that one because it gives you the slap on the back and you feel good. And then finally, we're scared to death of it. I mean, we're we're scared to death of of. I don't know if we think it's a disease people are catching, or I mean, I'm I mean, really, I mean, we are scared um, as if again it's another kind of sin, and, and really, um, sin is the issue. It's the issue with me. It's the issue with, with the homosexual. Mm-hmm. So, th- for those reasons, I think we struggle.
0: Okay, so let me let me make a transition here and last th- this question, and really it's it's twofold. Um, I guess um, part A is how should we relate with churches who, who embrace a homosexual union? What should be our attitude and our relationship toward churches in our own community who say homosexuals are welcome here, we love you, we, we don't hate you? And then part, part um, two to that question is how should we relate to the homosexual couple that lives right across the street from us in our neighborhood that we see. Like we, we see them potentially almost every day, getting either getting their mail or coming out of the car or, or exercising or what, what have you. So how, how do we re- relate to local churches that promote homosexuality, and how do we re- relate to ho- homosexual couples?
3: All right, I'll, I'll start, and I'll just answer the first question and give these guys a chance and then answer the next question. Um, As far as other churches, I think we have to go back to where Bob started, and that's the authority of the Word of God. Um, I think it is, we enter into a dangerous area when we start to try and pick out who's Christians and who's not Christians. I don't want to suggest that we should play that game, but I think that we should uh, bring our fellow brothers and sisters who are preachers uh, under conviction uh, of the Word of God. And this is part of the problem with reaching the culture is because we send mixed messages, Um, you know, in in society's eyes, whoever stands up there with a cross is representing Christ. And so if you're standing up there with a cross and you're saying, no, no, it's fine. If you're gay, Uh, the Bible says it's fine. And by the way, everybody else who's preaching against it, they've twisted the scriptures. And so now the Bible loses its authority because you have people standing there with the cross saying the Bible doesn't say what the Bible clearly says. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we have to do is we have to bring our brother, and again, not in a condemning way, but we have to bring them under conviction of the word of God. And this has to be the authority. If we don't have a common authority, then we'll never be able to communicate with each other. This has to be the point of reference.
0: So if we don't have the common authority, if it is clear that a church really disregards the authoritative word, yeah. even though they might say that they, they, they love the, the Bible. Sure. The Bible's a good book. Right. Um, then what does the relationship look like from, say, church, church member A at one of our churches and church member B at the church who embraces the same-sex union?
1: Well, I think that you have to ask the question, you know, uh, what is a church? and then that will lead you to the question what is a Christian and once you've answered the question what is a Christian and then you know what is a church and we realize that uh, we we live in a religious culture uh, that is um, filled with uh, nominal Christians, that is Christians in name only and you know, Satan, he doesn't care whether people go to hell as atheists or as religious Protestants. He doesn't care. And so he has some who are blinded by atheism and some he is blinded by um, false gospels. I, I don't think that we should consider those churches that would, that have separated themselves from the authority of God's word. I do not think we can Define them or consider them as churches. There may be a few Christians inside of them, but they need to separate themselves from that communion.
2: Mm. mm.
0: Do you
1: do you want are you interested in the second? I am, I am interested. Very interested. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to get ahead. No, you're good. You're good. Um, Well, I concerning you know um, the homosexual couple that lives next door. Yeah. Um, I do think this is a these two issues are strongly related. And when I was in Bible college, uh, back in the late '70s, I had a friend who wrote a paper, uh, and uh, they were writing from the perspective. They it was a research paper, but. Uh, they wrote about homosexuality and about Christians with homosexual desires, which was very unusual to talk about at that time. And, and uh, the girl that wrote this paper actually read some parts of it to me. And, anyways, uh, she was she had a fictional man in her story uh, who was in a church and he was struggling with same sex attraction, but he said, you know, he had thought about going to talk with his pastor. Uh, several times, but he, then his pastor preached on homosexuality. He said, and I was so glad that I hadn't tried to talk to him because clearly I was the leper, and I was untouchable. And, you know, while uh, <clears throat> the, while we, we certainly can never give approval to sin, we need to give hope to sinners. Mm-hmm. And so we we need to love that homosexual couple the same as we would love a heterosexual couple that was living together or a married couple that are lost and you know entirely have everything backwards and we need to love them and we need to reach out to them and we need to give them hope. I, I do think though as we present the gospel to those people one of the things that they need to to sense is that in Christ in Christ, and therefore in His church, there is acceptance, and there is love, and there is peace, and there is liberty, and uh, there is honesty and transparency. Uh, there is help. You know, we we receive sinners just like Christ receives sinners not clinging to their sin, not approving of their sin, but we receive them, and we are sinners, and so we love each other and help each other in that way. And that kind of community needs to be what draws them because at the present time, society at large still has them on the outside in many ways. And for many of those people, they feel very much alone. And so consequently, uh, Christian love will go a long ways toward communicating the gospel. And I I think, too, in talking to them, in talking to a homosexual about the gospel, we want to give them hope that they can be forgiven and that their hearts can be transformed. But I don't think the hope is that that after you believe, you'll never have these desires again. I mean, that's certainly not true for any of the rest of us, with any of the rest of our sins, we still find that we struggle with our sins. And and so the the hope is that as, um, as the volume is turned up, as it were, on God's glory and his grace, as these things become large in their life, that this over here is going to diminish more and more, and you'll be able to live a life that glorifies God. Uh, so I, I, I just... I'll stop there. No,
0: that's good, Bob. Let, let me ask a follow up and then we'll break. Um, Carlton, you, you've got this couple that lives across from you. Um, I'm sure that you would share the gospel with them. I know you well enough. But would you invite them to Grace Fellowship to visit the church? Why or why not?
2: Uh, yes, but only after uh, there was sufficient relationship. And I say that because, not because I'm afraid of how they would be received at Grace Fellowship. I'm confident of their reception at Grace Fellowship. Uh, but I think that at times, and I fell into this trap, I've made this mistake um, with anything, but especially with something where we're talking about the whole life is, and that's one of the things Bob's and I, Bob and I were speaking about before the, the discussion tonight. Our culture says you are and they define their humanity by their sexuality. Mm-hmm. You are a homosexual. You are a heterosexual. Mm-hmm. This is a big problem because either you are in Christ or you're not in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the identity that we all need and mm-hmm. long for, right? Mm-hmm. And so when a person is defined completely as I am a homosexual, they have to know that I'm, I love them that they're not my project, my science project, or my gospel project that I'm just trying to fix. Mm-hmm. They have to know that I love them and that I, that I am totally foreign to their lifestyle in a, in, a, in a winsome way. That's the way the Lord ate with sinners. He was the center of the discussions in these, these meetings with Pharisees, tax collectors, and sinners. He was the center, not just hanging out. He was the focal point of these hangouts. And so he was that way because his life was winsome, his life was attractive, and so that's what I would do first, is I would I would seek to endeavor to be attractive to them, uh, holding out the principles of the gospel, not making them a project um, that I can then bring back and show off to all my friends that, hey, I fixed a homosexual. That's offensive.
0: Right.
2: And frankly, that happens a lot. So that would be the first thing I would do, is try to build that relationship uh, firmly that I love them, and then speak plainly about the gospel with them, inviting them to church uh, in time, in, in the right time, mm-hmm. uh, because I think that's important. And so um, the, the last thing I'll say about that, because I agree with what both these guys have already said, is just simply that I would offer, uh, I think we would all endorse um, a resource. If you want to know how to love uh, people in this lifestyle, um, the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert by Rosaria Butterfield is your (laughs) go-to. It's the best I know. It's a story written by a lady who is a pastor's wife today who was an active lesbian. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University, the head of the feminist department, the first chair in the United States of such a department, okay? So she gives the story, and I think... It's instructed me on how to love people, and, uh, and I love all people, but especially people struggling in this area. And I think it would be great instruction for you. That's The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert by Rosaria Butterfield. You'll never forget that name. They so. actually
0: have the book at Lifeway. Yes. I recently purchased it, so um, I might have gotten the last copy, but maybe they got some others in. So. <laughs> So we're going to take a 10-minute break now. Guys, thank you. I really feel like over the last 10 or 15 minutes, we've just now gotten our stride a little bit. So hopefully we can uh, keep, keep going in that vein. But I have some index cards in the very back beside our giving box. And so you can write a question down on the index card and, uh, and then just bring it to me. We've got coffee and, and some uh, pretzels and, and cookies and things. And we'll, uh, we'll be right back with your questions in, in 10 minutes. All right, so we got some great questions here. It looks like we've got, oh, I don't know, 12 or 13 or so, and some of them are similar. Some of them are more related to the government, and then others are much more personal and much more relational, and I think we definitely want to get both of those, uh, both of those kinds of questions, because I think many of you came tonight wanting to know how to deal personally and interpersonally with people. And at the same time, many of you came because you're concerned about where we're headed as a society. So we'll, we'll try to hit them. And then, guys, I may direct the question specifically to one of you, but if another of you has an itching to follow up or to answer or if you want to pass because you don't think that's the best question for you, then, then uh, um, don't worry about it. That's fine. You can pass. We'll give you one of those. All right. So here's, here's the first question. At what point should Christian Americans push for revolution, overthrow uh, of the government, uh, or secession? What about uh, federal violation of the 10th Amendment? At what point do we act civilly? Bob, go for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think that we, we should address uh, the sins of our government in that way. I I think that we need to, there are times when we may need to flee, uh, run and hide, and there are times when we may have to suffer. You remember that John the Baptist in Matthew 14, that it says that Herod had put John in prison because of his wife Herodias because John had said to him it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife and so you know John wasn't leading a revolution to overthrow Herod's government Uh, he glorified God by being willing to suffer as he stood truthfully for the gospel and certainly had an impact on Herod and Herod's family uh, but I I think that uh, our our weapons again are not the weapons of this world, you know. They are uh, the preaching the law and preaching the gospel, and it is in that proclamation. You see, the, the gospel over here it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And if we get off track, and uh, you know, start building our militias, you know, that that's not what we're called to. We are called to preach the gospel, and the gospel can change hearts, you know, communities, and it can change nations. And so I I believe that we need to use the power that God has given to us. I I would not encourage us in that direction. Okay.
2: I would encourage everybody to read the Federalist Papers in all
1: seriousness. Mm -hmm.
2: Because I think the the lack of education about what our Constitution actually says, Mm -hmm. what the Founding Fathers actually meant when they wrote what they said, is a missing piece in our language as Christians when we're having intellectual conversations with non-Christians. We seem to be very out of step and we don't understand a lot of the argumentation. And So that's just the historian coming out in me. I think it should be required reading for the fifth grade or above the Federalist Papers, and you should talk about them in your home even. Mm-hmm. Because I think the, the logical reasoning of our founding fathers is superb. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of them are godly men. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's, a, that's just an example. There's other documents, but that's just an example. I do think we should know uh, what our government has afforded to us as, our, as a people. In other words, I don't live in a dictatorship. So I don't think we're called as Christians to simply roll over and pretend that we live in a dictatorship. Um, Because if we do, then we're actually forfeiting what God has given to us. So I do think there's places and times where we stand um, in loving opposition to those who would overstep their bounds and would do things that are illegal you know, they're, they're, the acts are illegal. So I, I don't think we need to raise up arms, but I do think we need to be sharp in our argumentation and understand, because that's the place of a Christian citizen. That's what we're here for. And um, and not be alarmist, but be grounded and well-educated. So I think Bob obviously agrees with that. Um, we've had a lot of conversations, so I won't say that. I agree with Bob. It's not time to, you know, do anything physically. But I think prepare ourselves spiritually and mentally.
0: Okay. This next question is simple in form, but the answer to it has implications that are deep and significant. And so what I want to do is I want to ask this question and then I I want, to, I want us to pause for a good 15 or 20 seconds before one of you attempts to answer it, okay? Does God love everyone? Does God love everyone?
1: John chapter 3, if you read John Calvin's commentary on John chapter 3, he explains how God renders every individual in creation inexcusable by declaring his love for every person. And so it is, uh, I do believe that we can affirm that God loves every person And that's certainly the grid through which we would look at uh, all other people.
3: Um, And in that same vein, um, Romans 5.8, God commended his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, So even in our sinful state, God loves us.
2: Love does not equal acceptance. Mm-hmm. Our culture says, "If you love me, you accept me." Mm-hmm. And the Bible says, "I love you too much to accept your sin." Mm-hmm. That goes for me. It goes for a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so God's love is for everyone and has been specifically displayed in Jesus Christ through the power of the gospel. And so that's all I would say is, love does not equal acceptance. Um, love, uh, love is commended to us in Christ and the gospel.
0: Yeah. So, so if I don't, if you don't mind, I'll add my commentary. Um, love is the pursuit of the highest good of the object of its love. Love is the pursuit of the highest good of the object of his love. And God looks down upon sinful humanity and says, "I love you." Therefore, I send my my son to die for you so that you can be like me. Is that correct? Okay. Okay, next question. My older cousin came out to my family seven years ago. How should I relate to him? How should I love him? And how should I do the same things with my family who accepts or judges him?
3: You know I don't know that I have the perfect answer. I would just say that um uh, your cousin has probably faced a lot of rejection uh in one way or another from uh a lot of different places um, I would try as best I can to demonstrate that you know this person is apparently somebody that you've known uh your your lifetime, and I would say that that's somebody that if you love them before, you continue loving them. Um, You know, I think there's a danger in trying to uh, make somebody be who you want them to be. Um, If you love them, then then you love them where they are, um, and you want to reveal to them the love of Christ. Uh, You want to reveal to them—you want to love them where they are and reveal to them the love of Christ— And acknowledging the truth of God's word, um, you know, the example that's coming to my mind is I, you know, I work, I have worked with a couple of um, uh, uh, open homosexuals. um, And what I wanted them to understand is I was not going to treat them any differently than I treated anybody else that I worked with. I wanted them to understand that, um, you know, they had a right to be treated as a decent human being. Um, and I, I was intentional in making sure that they understood that if you have a question about something, you can come to me. Uh, if you need me for something, you can come to me. Um, I was never, and they understood that I was never gonna compromise my faith and my stance on what I believe about the lifestyle, but I'm, I'm always gonna embrace them as a person. Um, and so, if 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 you can do that for somebody who's a work colleague, surely you can do that for somebody who uh, is a relative.
0: I want to press in a little bit there. Yeah. Let's just say that uh, this this cousin has uh, has a same sex union, and uh, he's he's now married to his his partner, and and they want to have family Christmas. At their house and celebrate family Christmas there. I know that you, we might have different answers um, to, to this question that I'm about to ask, so I want to ask you to answer it and then give your reason why you answer it. Do you and your family go to family Christmas at your cousin's house who is celebrating Christmas um, where he is in partnership in a same sex union with another individual? Why? Why not?
1: Well, I think, uh, I think you're correct that there could be different answers. Um, but first of all, I would say that uh, uh, for my conscience, I, I could not. I a number of reasons for that. One is I wouldn't want to expose my children to a same-sex couple, seeing them holding hands, kissing. You know, acting like a husband and wife without feeling like that that my children were um, having their innocence robbed by the perversion that was before them. You know, if I wouldn't take them to see a movie that has that kind of thing in it, then I certainly wouldn't bring them, you know, in. Um, I would uh, tell them, uh, you know, wish them a Merry Christmas. And tell them about the meaning of Christmas. Maybe even give them a gift. That maybe be part of a means of telling them about that. I would do my best to show that my reason for stepping for for uh, saying no to the invitation is not because I don't love them, but because we're on two different trajectories, and I I cannot agree with that though I care deeply for them. And that that's a, may seem like a very tight uh, rope to a walk, but uh, for, for my conscience, I, I could not take my family to that kind of situation.
0: Well, I, I think that the person who asked this question probably is faced with something like, like that. Are, would there be any other answers or any addition to that answer that either one of you would like to, to make? Anthony or Carlton? Good. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
2: You want me to walk off the end of the plane first? <laughs> uh, I would agree with Bob on the children. And so I, I would just look at it, too. I would ask the question, uh, in my mind, um, is this the uh, main celebration of Christmas among our family? This is, uh, in other words, I'm going to be forfeiting. This is Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. I mean, so for me, there's lots of levels to think through. So if we're talking about a Friday night close to the holiday itself but not on the holiday and it's a get-together of our extended family, Um, I might choose, depending on... So my answer would be caveated with, do they claim to be Christians or not Christians? If they claim to not be Christians at all, they they don't have any affiliation with Christ. I I could personally leave my children and go, um, if I had an ongoing relationship to have the gospel presented, you know, to have... Fellowship in some way there, but I, I would not expose my children. I would not even force my wife to go if it was against her conscience, and it would be in a very purposeful way. I would not go just simply to condone their lifestyle, but if I felt like I could maintain the gospel witness, and this was one way to do that, I would do it. And uh, and so that would be the only. And I know that's very complicated and personal. So,
3: I I agree. Uh, with both these gentlemen, all I'd say is, um, you know, taking cues from what Bob said and um, reflecting on Romans 14 is that a, a conscience that has been trained by the, co- by the gospel is a powerful guide. Mm-hmm. And I think we should allow our conscience uh, to guide us. And that may end up being a yes, and that may end up being a no, but I think it should be something that you're at peace with. Uh, You shouldn't force yourself to go and attend something like that. Uh, But if you're wrestling with trying to figure out a reason why not to go, then that may be your answer also. But I think your your conscience that is shaped by the gospel Mm. is a powerful guide. Mm. And I would
2: also have the same answer, and I think Bob would, if it was a heterosexual couple living outside the bounds of marriage— and right. celebrating their relationship as if it's normal and mm-hmm. acceptable biblically. So I think we would both have the same yes. answers. We would, we would protect our children from anything sure. that's outside of marriage yeah. and is being treated normally. I mean, yeah. I've had family members myself mm-hmm. who have tried to bring their girlfriends to spend a night at my house with my children. Mm-hmm. And so what we tell them up front is you can't do that. There's, a, there's, there's three hotels close by mm-hmm. if you want to. Live, I mean, you know, we just have to, and that's a tough conversation, mm-hmm. um, but we don't feel like in our conscience we could right. say, come on in our house and live this way um, because we love them and we love our, love our family. Right? Yeah, so I think love it's Christ. important
0: that we, that, I, that we hear you say that you're not putting a bullseye, you're not putting a target on homosexual sin in this area of, of relating with people. It's, it's uh, sin in, in general that you don't want to promote before, in particular, your children. Okay, Um, we switch gears a little bit back to the government here, but homosexual marriage slash civil union proponents argue that refusing to allow their marriage or their civil union is a violation of their constitutional civil rights. Since they and our government recognize the Constitution as authoritative, not God's word, How would you respond?
1: Well, I think we definitely need several answers on this. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say that they don't really recognize the Constitution as authoritative. Mm. They simply use it as a document that they can manipulate in order to uh, promote their lifestyle. And it's been used that way many times during uh, the last... Two thirds of the 20th century mm-hmm. uh, to uh, make social change, mm-hmm. and um, and we certainly we, we we know that even with um, abortion as well the abuse of the interpretation of the Constitution. So I, I don't think that it's a truthful statement that they regard the Constitution with authority. They they're gonna if the Constitu- Constitution explicitly denied them that, then they wouldn't care what it said. You know, so uh, I'll stop there for a second.
3: Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just I agree with that and um, would only say that if a man told me that I was denying him his constitutional rights by denying him the ability to marry another man, um, I would only respond that you have the same right to marry a woman that I do. Um, And that's what the Constitution would would. Um, empower us to do, however, the caveat is it's all it 's got to be interpreted, and the people who sit on the bench are the ones who interpret it they 're going to come down this summer and they 're going to rule that homosexual marriage same sex marriage is okay that then will be the law of the land, um, and you know the the country at large will have to abide by it, um, but i don 't believe that it's necessarily a constitutional issue. I think it's just going to be interpreted that way. Yeah, and I would say the
2: Constitution does uh, speak to this issue, and what it says is that the states have jurisdiction over these decisions, mm-hmm. right. and the federal government should leave the, leave themselves out of this. Right. This is not their question. Right. And so I think, as Bob said, they're actually trampling on the Constitution while holding up the banner saying, we believe in the Constitution. Mm-hmm. It's, it's silly. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it, and there may be another question, but you say constitutional civil right.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I have a big problem when we start calling this civil rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is, um, it's very upsetting to me that something like the civil rights movement would be now grabbed hold of by uh, homosexuals, and they would try to say, it's the same for me and our, our uh, decisions as it was for uh, African-Americans and Hispanics in the 1960s or 1950s. It's, it's first of all, it's absolutely not true. And, and, um, there, and without having to get into a specific case, I think we all would agree, it's not true. And I, it infuriates me in my heart, I hope righteously, that what was a needed movement is now being taken over by an unrighteous movement, and so it um, it really does bother me. So constitutionally and civilly, it bo- civil rights both bother me.
1: Okay, Can I add one one other detail. When we when we ask, we have to remember that government is ordained by God, um, so God is the author of it, and all authority in the government is under God's authority. I know that we we rejoice that our uh, pledge says under God. I'm not sure we could say it if it didn't have that line in it, under God. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact is, though, is that no matter what nation you live in, it is a nation under God mm-hmm. because all government is under God's authority. And when we ask the state to protect life and to protect marriage we are not asking the, the state to be the church we are just asking the state to be the state mm-hmm. to do what its God ordained responsibilities are which is to protect life mm-hmm. and to protect marriage mm-hmm. because those are the cornerstones of community the cornerstones of, of national life
0: mm. yeah Given that the prominence of homosexual relationships and quote-unquote families will only increase in educational and entertainment representations in books and television, etc., what suggestions do you have for explaining cultural acceptance versus God's plan for marriage and family to your children. So how, how do you? So so. Um, I, I listened to uh, a message this week by Vodi Bachum called uh, "Gay is the New Black." If you've never listened to the message, you can find it on YouTube. Vodi Bachum, uh, "Gay is the New Black," and he clearly articulates the agenda that has been um, set and promoted and enacted over the last forty years. Uh, desensitization, uh yes that word, um, to, uh, to homosexuality, which then will produce the normalcy of homosexuality, which then will produce the acceptance of homosexuality. And it has absolutely occurred right before our very eyes over the last 40, 50 years. Okay, so the question here is, how do we deal with that as parents, really, with, with our children? great question. I think that many, many would want the answer to it.
2: Well, I think that um, we need to be the guards over what our children watch and listen to. Um, We need to speak clearly to our children about what God says about life in all areas, and especially in the area of um, sexual relationship I think we need to model for our children passionate romantic biblical marriage so that our children don't look at what we have and say I want something different mm-hmm. but they look at what we have and say that's what I want mm-hmm. and I think we need to do that and then and so rather than letting entertainment tell our children what marriage is we need to guard them from entertainment and then hold out to them an example of godly marriage mm-hmm. is my point mm-hmm. and then with education, I, I think that we are going to have to um, be in the place of guarding our children from quote-unquote science uh, in this area, because I think that's, that's where we're headed. We're going to start trying to normalize uh, the issue through science. It's already happening. And we're going to speak very plainly and up front about that with our children, about how that's twisting research and truth. It's not, it's not presenting truth. And so, um, that, I mean, we are the guards of our families. Um, if your child has a phone in their possession, they have access to all the perversity that any mind could ever come up with. And, and so you are, and I am foolish if we have given unfettered use to our children. Um, my twelve-year-old does not have a phone, but she does have an iPod, which can text with her mother. Okay, but and I'm this going to get me in hot water? Maybe with some of y'all, you'll think I'm the uh, Nazi in some way. I read all of her text messages.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: She's not under the guise that she she has privacy in my house. Mm-hmm. Um. She, she's actually told you have no privacy. Because I love you too much. Because when your daddy had privacy, he chose pornography. Men, we just need to be honest with our families and say, when your daddy had the privacy and unfettered access, I chose wrong. And I love you too much to let you do that. And so every conversation, and her friends know. I mean, like they've started texting now. I mean, she's getting 13, right? So I'm not a fool. I know she's not just texting her mama.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But her friends now know your, your dad reads all your text messages. Santa Grace and says, yes. Guess what? They don't text about things they don't want me to read. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying we are the guards over our families, men particularly, women also. And we need to stand guard in love and, and compassion.
0: Right. So, so, I, so I hear here, um, demonstrate... Real, authentic, passionate, heterosexual marriage before your children. And then I hear guard your children by what they watch, what they listen to, what they engage in with their peers and, and in the culture. Is there any addition to, to those two things? Demonstrate and, and guard. It's a good, okay.
1: Yep. Just could add that. This is much more difficult than it would have been 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. So because uh, Lot pitched his tents towards Sodom, Sodom has moved into, uh, you know, our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And so we, we live in a, a, a time and a place that this is much more difficult. And so in many ways, it is a persecution Uh, Even as Lot, as his righteous soul was vexed day by day, as he beheld the uh, wickedness of his neighbors, um, we also are that way. And you remember that uh, although he had protected his daughters so that they were virgins, he had not protected their minds because uh, they committed incest with their father. They prompted that kind of a, a situation. It's evident they had no conscience about that. And so although they had not been actively involved in the immorality of their community, they had imbibed it mentally and emotionally, mm-hmm. and it had taken away their, their the innocence of their conscience.
0: I think I've, I've met with a number of dads who who have warned their teenage daughters, if something ever, if he ever does anything, or if this ever happens, I will kill him. Which sounds very guarding. But that same dad allows to be watched on his television and music to be played daily. um, Things that give um, a young daughter a mind and a heart, or a young son a mind and a heart, that is exactly what she would be going after that he's trying to prevent. There just has to be a marriage between those two things, I think. Yeah. Okay, so um, next question. Is there a difference between same-sex marriage and redefining marriage for this issue? Is it two sides of the same coin?
2: Well, I would say that um, Bob said earlier, we want the state to be the state. And I agree 100% with that. And what we don't want the state to do is to define what God's already defined. That's, right. mm-hmm. That's not their place, just like it's not the place of the church to do that. And so I don't think we need to um, worry about we, – we don't need to worry about – we do not need to be involved with redefining marriage. Mm-hmm. It, it is defined. We need to hold our ground. We are presuppositionalist. I hope, on, on this, <laughs> and on this, like other issues – um, now, if what what we're saying is um, that w- are we redefining marriage? N- we're n- because I don't think we are. I think we're just taking the the Bible here. So. Right,
3: and and I think maybe the question is, you know, the fact that we there was there was an opportunity maybe a few years ago to you know the initial case was to get. Um, uh, get the rights of, um, uh, once somebody has died, to be able to leave uh, material to somebody, to another person. And, And at that time, there was the opportunity to sanction civil unions. And I think maybe what the question is about is that now it is shot past civil unions and what these unions are being called are marriages. And so through the government, uh, the culture is, is defining marriage as, yes, this is marriage also. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the concern. Um, the, the, the way I look at it is, um, you know, y- you, can, you can pass laws that says this thing that I'm holding is a bicycle. You'll never be able to get on it and ride it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a marriage is what God defined it to be. You can change, you can pass laws to change it, change what it's called, but we'll never change what marriage is uh, as defined by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you try to redefine gravity, all you're going to do is get hurt. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, so, so, so this is a good follow-up here. What about totally separating marriage as a civil and legal act from the covenant of marriage as a holy and Christian act? In other words, um, push for laws for civil unions and force true churches, to practice it as a holy covenant and define it as we do baptism
2: or the Lord's Supper?
0: Um, implications for the church, and what, what would be the implications for the church and the government on something like like that?
2: Yes, so um, I, I would say, although I agree with Anthony, that the day may have dawned on that. We may have missed it, and, and, and that may be the case. I do think it's worth pushing it. Um, and matter of fact, uh, without saying anything, that's because nothing's official. It's all just being talked about. I know for a fact that our representatives in Montgomery are talking about this thing off the record. Um, they want to know what can Alabama do, if anything, to to get the state out of the marriage business. Not just for hom- homosexual or so-called same-sex marriage, but for all marriages. Just return marriage back to the church and then have legal, uh, a binding, civil union, uh, civil union type mm-hmm. agreements, which the state would agree on in possessions, insurance, these kinds of things. Um, and I, 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 for one, am encouraging my representative to get in on those talks and be involved. I would encourage you to do the same with your representative, your senators. Let them at least hear from you. The worst thing that happens is they pass new laws, which then get struck down. Uh, but I, I guess, in my opinion, it's worth having them struck down, just have them struck down again and again, because it's worth it. You know, I think it's worth the fight uh, mm-hmm. that we could have.
0: So. I really like this question, and I think that you guys uh, can expound on it uh, some more. In the introduction, marriage, um, biblical marriage, was defined as having a purpose in glorifying God, procreating, and societal building blocks. I think that's an accurate representation of what we said. Much was made over procreation. However, can you explain how marriage finds purpose in glorifying God and how that purpose, therefore, invalidates homosexual marriage?
3: Good question. So my wife is here tonight, um, and... You know, she could attest to um, who I was before I came to know Christ. We were married before I came to know Christ. Um, and coming to know Christ and gaining an understanding of what God's intention is for marriage changed our marriage completely. Uh, it changed me as a man. It changed me as, um, in, in, as far as understanding how um, I am to be a husband to my wife. Um, And so when it comes to glorifying God in my marriage, um, I want people who don't know God to look at our marriage and see a glimpse of God, all right? I want them to understand that this is the way Christ loves the church, uh, the way I love my wife. I want to love her sacrificially. I want to give myself to her completely, um, and understanding that that is a picture of what Christ did for the church. This is how we glorify God in our marriages, is is by being who God has called us to be in those roles as husbands and wives. That, by definition, invalidates homosexual marriage in that, as Carlton pointed out earlier, is that there's a difference between us and God. Uh, And there is a difference between a man and a woman. Um, You know, there are very Basic differences um, that that tell us you know the woman was created for a man, and the man is is for a woman, and that there is something not quite natural about a man being with a man or a woman being with a woman, and it's clear just from the way we're made
0: mm-hmm. bob would you would you just elaborate more on this because i think I think the question really is. Um, if you were playing kind of the other side of it, is can, can two homosexuals not be married and glorify God in the way that they love each other and minister to one another and help each other when they're sick and, and show how merciful they are and, and that kind of thing. And it just made me think of Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, um, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I will make a helper fit for him. Could you just talk about the nature of marriage where a man and a wife fit together in such a way that brings glory uh, to the God who who created them for that purpose?
1: Well, that particular verse, you know, it's been translated variously, but uh, it does capture the fact of uh, distinguishing qualities Mm -hmm. that uh, the man and the woman uh, are distinct and they are complementary um, so that there is a, a helper comparable to him, but not like him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so the importance of distinction is uh, integral to the, uh, to the oneness and, um, and to the display of God's glory in the marriage. So it's like this. Um, You have in the Trinity, you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And you don't have three persons in the Godhead who are exactly alike. They they are distinguished eternally from one another. And it is that distinction that makes fellowship possible. And marriage is a mirror of of those distinctions in the Godhead, it is a, a mirror of that same kind of community where there is unity and yet there is a difference. And it is obvious that God created marriage to reflect. And where there is in same-sex marriage, it does not reflect what that reflects more um, you know, Islam, you know, uh, the oneness people, those kind it just it uh, actually presents a perverted view of God as opposed to displaying the glory of God in the marriage. I don't know, you you may want to say more of what you had in mind as well.
0: No, no, I just think that um, emphasizing the fact that God is glorified in the distinct roles and the distinct nature of the male and female. The very reason why God created the male and female and their distinct nature is because they fit together in a complementary way in a complementary way such that a male cannot complement another male a female cannot complement another female
2: so you and i cannot glorify god if we deny god's word and everywhere god had opportunity to say that se- uh male and female did not matter it could be male and male or female or female these were interchangeable. God did not say they were interchangeable. He said, and the language allowed for it. Both the Hebrew and the Greek have both masculine and feminine uh, uh, to speak. Mm-hmm. They, they, in other words, there's plenty of times where the Bible could have said a man and a man. It could have said it. It could have said them. It could have spoken, but it speaks very plainly every time. And so an argument is being made. That just is impossible from the Bible, that we can glorify God and be man and man and joined in a so-called marriage. It's impossible. Why? Because you're denying God's word. How? Because everywhere God spoke about marriage, He said male and female, right. and He could have said sexual. What what you are, male or female, doesn't matter. He didn't say that. Right. He said it does matter, mm-hmm. and so uh, first primary, if your child wants to honor you or glorify you as their father, they have to obey you and listen to your word. And and so to deny God's word is to deny his glory. Uh, Four
0: different times in scripture is the phraseology used that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. It's not as if it is an obscure doctrine or obscure passage that is tucked away somewhere in Habakkuk. Um, it, it, is, it is repeated over and over, and I think you know God knew that things like this would happen, and He wanted to show that this is an emphasis. This is an emphasis. so
2: you don't think Habakkuk is inspired? No,
0: Joey preached out of Habakkuk uh, last I was week. Just so, sure. uh, I was just make yeah, sure. No. <laughs> Sorry, I just make sure. Sorry, I should have said Hezekiah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, so uh, this question is interesting. Any idea of how large the LGBT community is locally? Um, of those above, how, how many are expressing that their desires are unwanted? They, they dislike their same sex desires. Um, so it that seems to be two distinct questions there, but, um, and I don't know if any of you actually know the answer to question number one.
2: Yeah. Consistently nationwide, the number is 1.5 to 2% right. mm-hmm. homosexual. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's been that way since they've been taking a poll on it. Mm-hmm. So th- it, that's the way it is. Secondly to that, I would say that that last week, at least as of last week, in the Aniston Star, there were six uh, Calhoun County granted license to same-sex couples. Mm-hmm. Only one was from this county. Mm-hmm. The other five were from Georgia. Mm-hmm. The reason the other five were from Georgia is because we're the closest county in the state of Alabama that granted the license. They couldn't get them in Cleburne County, so they had to come to us. Mm-hmm. So... All of this hullabaloo and talk and one couple <laughs> applied for a license. Mm-hmm. I think that that speaks pretty loudly to the minority that we're really bowing toward as a as a culture. That one couple did this.
0: Mm. I want to ask a question that is um, both. Um, Rooted in the Bible, it is theological in nature, but it's personal for every for everybody here. Um, But we'll address it uh, under the homosexual banner. And and that question is: What is the root and source of homosexual desires? What is the root and source of homosexual desires?
1: Well, you know, I was turning to this passage just a little bit ago. in Mark chapter 7 and he said verse 20 what comes out of a man what comes out of a man that defiles a man for from within out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts adulteries, fornications murders, thefts covetousness, wickedness deceit Lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. And so we we do know that the desire for same sex, just like the desire for another woman than your wife or the desire to have sex outside of marriage, all of those are rooted in our depraved nature. And, and I think we can say that it's observable that um, sinners have different kinds of inclinations. And there are, um, so there are multitudes multitude of ways that a person can, can be perverse and have perverse desires. But they are all, they all arise out of uh, our sinful heart. Now we do want to acknowledge that there are times when um, when th- things that happen to a person when they are young can shape much of their outlook. And uh, while what I said still remains true, we know that it is possible for uh, a, a child to be influenced, confused, and troubled by abuse, neglect, um, you know all of those kinds of things, uh, terrible things that I don't mention that that could put them into that situation and awaken in them perverse desires. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's important for us to recognize that these desires, like any other, are rooted in our depravity. And so, um, we need just like uh, (laughs) you know, I'm a lustful man. Mm -hmm. I need the gospel to save me. Mm -hmm. And uh, a homosexual person is a lustful person, and they need the gospel to save them. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's really I don't I don't know if that's sufficient for me. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I would say absolutely. And what we would say to anyone struggling with these desires, whether you're here watching it later or just hear about our discussion is just because you desire something does not sanction it as right Right. desires don't sanction activity as holy how do I know that you just don't understand my life Carlton if you had the kinds of desires that I have then you'd understand me that's I hear that from my homosexual friends and what I reply is you don't know the attractions and desires that I have. If you did, you'd know how much I need the gospel. Because desires are not, because we are depraved and they come out of sinful hearts, they're not sanctioned as holy. They're not, in other words, in keeping with God. They're not desires. We can't blame God for our desires. They're ours. And they're wrong and they have to be. So what? how does the gospel impact me? What I would say to a homosexual is the same thing I'd say to a heterosexual. The the call of Jesus Christ in the gospel is that you lay down your life, deny yourself, and follow me. That's what Jesus said. You must die to yourself, take up your cross, and come after me. He who is not willing to do that is not worthy of me. I mean, that's the way Jesus talks, not to homosexuals, to humanity, to all of us. I've got to deny my desires for my own pleasure, for my own gratification in food, in sex, in entertainment, in knowledge, in all of these things. I have to deny all of who I am and take up the cross of Christ as my identity and follow. Yeah, Or I'm not worthy of it.
0: Yeah, um, at, at the risk of just inciting a, a response, um, surely we've, we've been around the spirit of somebody asking the question, what are we going to do about the gays? And I think that I can speak for Christian Fellowship, Anniston Bible, Grace Fellowship, uh, Redeemer Church, possibly even the Living Church, and Hope Community who is here represented tonight. And I think that the answer to that question is, um, is the same thing that we're going to do about our own sin about our own hearts. We're going to call out to a God of grace. And we're going to call our sin what our sin is. It is treason against a good and gracious and loving and mighty and holy God. And we're going to call it what He calls it. We're going to call it sin. And we're going to run to the cross where we can find forgiveness, where we can find repentance, where we can find grace. We're going to confess, and we're going to ask Him to flood us with His love and with His mercy and the power to change, the power to change. And so I think that what we want to say is the question is not what are we going to do about the gays. The question is what are we going to do about sin, both in us and in others, and that is we're going to preach the gospel to ourselves ourselves, we're going to preach the gospel to the community, and we're going to offer out hope and life and power through the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where, that's where we want to get with everyone that we see. Okay, well, why don't you stand with me, and I'll pray for us. Thank you all for coming tonight. If you have any remaining questions that maybe you didn't want to ask kind of in a public forum, I'm sure that those exist. I imagine the guys will stay around for a little while tonight and, and uh, would love to talk, talk to uh, any of you. God, uh, for those of us who are Christians, would you prevent us from doing anything that would misrepresent you? Would you keep us, just not allow us to do anything that would misrepresent the powerful nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And would you help us Love everyone the way that You've loved us in Jesus Christ. We pray it in His name. Amen.